I'm so glad to be with each one of you today. I am. It's been quite the few weeks for at least me. I know that every one of us go through stormy times, but it's been a little bit of a blur for my family. And so many of you have been following and been praying and been visiting um, the Wager and the Westman family, and we are so grateful. But a few weeks back, we got pummeled with some snow. It, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but all of a sudden, life started getting a little harder then. You know, snow was heavy. Moving all that. Then the first responders and the hospital visits and the medical teams and mostly the amazing arms of God. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that my brother was able to take a trip last week and come down and be able to talk to you and share his heart. I think that was a powerful message. It was a message that we needed to hear because we all go through sorrow. And I was so grateful that Dave was willing to do that and spend some time with the people I I care a whole lot about. So before I speak, let's pray. Father, I thank you again for being our God. I thank you for being um, a friend, a shepherd. I thank you for being with us. I thank you that, that you care about each one of us. Lord, this is an amazing season. It's a season when each year we get to celebrate your love. You confuse us most of the time. And to send Jesus, King of Kings, to a manger. That's odd. But God, you know what's best. And you know what's right. And so we ask as we begin to anticipate and prepare ourselves for, well, you're coming as an infant. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be changed. We pray that your word would powerfully convict and comfort and courage. We do all, we pray all these things, Lord, in your, in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, young Mary had to be startled, both by the angel and the message. We're told in the scriptures that Gabriel came to Nazareth, a a small little town, wasn't very big, and met with this young woman, uh, 13, 14, maybe 15 if she was uh, getting near the old maidish ages back then. But she was young. She was already betrothed. We don't get that here, but, but she was as good as married. It was during this time, one year after Joseph made his plans evident and everything was ready to go, that that Mary was beginning to prepare herself to become Joseph's wife. So it was during this time, Joseph was preparing a home. We're not sure if he's building something or if he's renting something. We don't know all that. but, But back then, basically, you would again, make a commitment to a young lady. 
and it would be just about as if you were married, except you'd wait a year. And that's what happened. Mary was waiting. I don't know where she was walking, and I don't even understand. She was maybe laying in bed one day, kind of thinking of the wedding and the celebration and how she would decorate her home. I, I don't know. Maybe how many kids she would have and, and just all the joy that, well, that engaged couples go through. Remember, most engaged couples don't really think they're going to fight. And they don't think that they're going to disagree about anything. But they have these stars in their eyes. So here's Mary, young Mary. Gabriel shows up. Whoa. Angel in the room. Never happened before. And greets Mary. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds good to me. What are you telling me? What are you telling me? Next thing out of the angel's mouth, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine this 13, 14, 15-year-old girl? absolutely petrified. We don't know what angels look like. Let's face it. But it had to be something she had never, ever, ever, ever encountered. And then she gets the news. You, Mary, are going to give birth to the king of kings and his kingdom will never, ever end. Oh boy. Now she's really puzzled. And he explains. He goes, you know, you're not going to get pregnant the normal way. This is the only time this is ever going to happen in all of history. But the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And, and the son that you are going to bear, the son that you're going to bear, it's going to be Jesus, the Savior, the King of Kings. And you know Mary's response, and, and last year we spent a whole time just talking about Mary. And you may be wondering about the graphics. Well, I've gone to some very reliable sources called The Star. And these are my characters here, okay? So work with me on that if you can. But what does she do? Not understanding everything, not understanding all the ramifications. At this moment, an angel's just in a room. And what did she say? I am the Lord's servant. Bring it on. Now you can read. It wasn't exactly like that. But it was pretty close. If she was here today and she was visited by an angel, that's exactly what she would have said. God, I'm yours. I've been yours for a while. I want to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm your servant, not even understanding my whole assignment at this moment. But you know what, God? You said it. Let's do it. Now, as soon as those words came out of her mouth, I think she began to think. This message would change her life in more ways than one. Absolutely. She started thinking. Who would believe her story? Joseph's not going to believe her story. Joe, 
Got to let you know. Really, Mary? Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. And God said, the Holy Spirit did it. Mary? No. We see this all the time. We read about it. We just think, hey, this is normal, right? Normal. No. What normal is, it doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, we've got this young teenage girl. Petrified. No one is going to listen to her. Eventually, Joseph heard, well, from an angel. And he received the news. And as soon as he received this news, he began, of course, to think differently. He embraced this whole scenario, and he too knew his life was different. We don't know about Joseph. We know he's probably a little bit older. We know he was already in the trades. We know that this was very, very normal. So, so let's just call him 18 or 19. All right? We have an 18 and 19-year-old, and we have a 13 and 14-year-old, way more mature than maybe some of our, but maybe not, ready to start a family, hearing from God, knowing that this pregnancy is the Son of God, how are we going to do this? Well, together, they would be ostracized by their community. We don't read a lot about it, but no matter what you said, it would be hard to believe. Eventually, they traveled to Bethlehem. Because that's where, well, the prophets told that the Messiah would be born. But the reason they went is that Joseph had some relatives there. That's where he was from. So he made this trip with his very pregnant, soon-to-be real wife. You know, did you ever notice this? I don't know about relatives. Sometimes you have good ones, and sometimes you don't have such good ones. But it always seems that when family is in trouble, everybody seems to rise up a little bit, right? They didn't have cell phones, but I'm sure as they meandered into Bethlehem, Joseph had to know one or two people that were his relatives. Did you ever think of that? No room. Started to look around, no room. Mary and Joseph, they're trusting God in this whole thing, but but this is starting to go south. You you know what I mean? There aren't any hospitals. (laughs) God, you said you'd be with me. You said this is all your plan. Where are we going to have this guy? Because right now, he is coming. Well, they were scared. They were scared of giving birth. And it doesn't, again, state that there was family around. I'm sure Mary saw multiple births in her life. She was being prepared for this. But I bet in that little town, she saw some babies not make it. There's some fear there. She saw maybe some moms not make it. That was rather normal. But there always was family around. They always were there to help with the birth. They always encouraged. 
She was there by herself. She was there with a carpenter. What good are carpenters when babies come? No offense. But I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure, no, it's probably not a good deal. We look at this. They're probably afraid of raising the Son of God (laughs) on those long walks to Bethlehem. Hey, Joseph, how do you raise the Son of God? Well, Mary, not really sure, but he's going to be always right. (laughs) Okay, how does that work? I don't know. And you start talking and saying, well, hey, can we do anything wrong? I don't know. What happens if... I don't know. Fear. What about the road ahead? Always having this little stigma. And again, our culture is so different right now, but you talk first century Jewish culture, a baby out of wedlock. Oh, my word. That was tough. Even if someone did marry. Remember, according to the law she could have been stoned to death. Wow. God, couldn't you come up with a different plan for this young couple? I think that would have been good. Well, then of all places, plan's still not going very well, ready to give birth. She ends up at a stable, and she gives birth to Jesus, and the bed that is around is a trough. A manger. I'm not sure it could get worse. This is supposed to be the greatest time of joy for parents, right? So excited, especially your first little one. You know, by the time your you know, 10th or 12th kid is coming along, it's, it's kind of, you know, know what's happening. But the first one? Oh, my. Well, for Mary and Joseph, it was the greatest, but it also wasn't. The only thing I know is this. In the short little scenarios that we have, this young couple had God's word, had God's promises, had had God's light for their pathway. If we're again honest, the manger is one of the symbols of Christmas. We have glorified it just a little bit, though. I want you to know, every manger I see, even this one, kind of nice, you know? A little fluffy, there's really nothing wrong with that right there. But a manger is a, is a trough. I mean, there's animal saliva, animal other things around. Whoa. But realistically, we see the manger as a billboard that shouts hope. Because babies are quite fragile, no matter what their last name is. Babies are not warriors right away, or kings right away, or even messiahs. A baby in a manger takes faith, but faith gives hope. It took some faith for both Mary and Joseph to see past the swaddling clothing and the manger. God, you said this is the king of kings. I see a baby crying. God, you said his kingdom will reign forever. Right now, all I know is he's hungry. God, but he's the hope. You said that, and you've given me this privilege. You know, circumstances weren't ideal. 
In fact, I would call it close to lousy. No matter what we think, no matter all the stories and all the movies we've seen, this was a really, really hard time. And even the future would be hard. Just soon after Jesus was born, another angel came to Joseph and said, you need to move. Herod's on a rampage, move to Egypt. So he moves. Again, no family, nobody around. Whoa. But their hope, their hope was in God's word and in God's promises, not in circumstances. Accepting this challenging assignment and placing their hope in a baby is so hard to understand. And it's so hard to accept if you're Mary and Joseph. But let me say it again. Their hope, again, was in God's Word and in God's promises, not in circumstances. You will notice that today the scriptures I use almost entirely are going to be all from the Older Testament. All from part of the scriptures that Mary and Joseph had. Mary and Joseph knew. And they were bombarded and understood who this amazing God was well before an angel came and met with them. They knew the scriptures. They understand who this God was. But they were never asked to be put in this circumstance, in this situation. There was great hope. Isaiah the prophet, and we'll spend a lot of time in Isaiah at different places, but Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, Isaiah promised this, for a child is born unto us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful, oh no, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of the ancestors of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Whoa. This little baby? All this is going to happen? Well, I'm going to trust you, God. This is my hope. Remember, Rome was pretty much in power. This was not a lovely place to live. Oh, you're going to come. And you're going to be my counselor. A mighty God. A father, the prince of peace. And you will bring peace. Which we'll talk about next week. But biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Well, I'm hoping I'm going to have fried chicken for lunch today. That's wishful thinking. We're going to have hot dogs, in case you don't know. And maybe that's what you're wishing for. But realistically, it says not biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is the unshakable confidence that God can be trusted in spite of the circumstances. Remember, Jesus himself, when he was here on this planet, taught us that there will be troubles and there will be hard times and there will be valleys in life. In John chapter 16, verse 33, a book that we spent quite a bit of time on, he said this to his disciples right before he went to the cross. I have told you this so that you may have peace in me, that your confidence is going to be in me, not in your circumstances. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. I 
will overcome the world. It is the assurance that in the midst of darkness that God's promises are true, even while we wait for the fulfillment. Mary and Joseph believed. And in these next few minutes, I'm going to bombard you with Scripture. Scriptures that they knew. I know they knew them. Because these were not uncommon Scriptures. Scriptures that only they could grasp and get them through this unbelievable difficult time. Joyous but hard time. You see, not only did Gabriel tell Mary, I will be with you. And that should have carried a lot of weight, which I'm sure it did. But in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Moses said this, So be strong and courageous. He was talking to Joshua at the time, at the end of his life. Don't be afraid. Don't be panic before them. Whether he's talking about Israel or all the enemies across the Jordan. For your Lord, your God, will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. In Joshua, God talking directly to him in chapter 1, verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews, in our New Testament, chapter 13 Here's a promise from God. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Mary and Joseph knew Psalm 23. When the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. I, I'm... I'm going to trust my shepherd. He's going to tell me where to go. He's going to tell me what to eat. He's going to make sure that I have rest. He's going to restore my soul. He is not going to leave me because even when I walk through the valley, oh, what a very scary valley. Even when I walk through very scary valleys. You didn't say if I walk through very scary valleys. So when? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. That's the promise. That's what a shepherd is. A shepherd hangs with sheep. And that's God's promise. What about in Psalm 46? The Lord is my refuge and my strength, no matter what comes. And read that Psalm. I don't care if there's earthquakes. He's going to take care of me. I don't care. And you go like, whoa. He's pretty secure. He's pretty much to go to God. This is awesome. God's with me. God's my refuge. What about Psalm 91? I will find rest in the Lord. I can trust the Lord. He will be with me in trouble. How cool is that? Everyone is praying, Lord, I do not want trouble. I do not want pain. I want to meet the perfect girl. I want to live in the perfect house. I want my kids to be perfect. I want lots of money in the bank. I want the best cars. They always start in the winter. I want a snowblower that literally will start when I pull it. That's what I want. Very seldom 
till we get what I just said. <laughs> Very seldom. Sometimes we think, hey, God, did you uh, forget about me? God, are you still around? Because right now, things don't look so good, God. How come your plans never align with mine, God? What's the deal? Psalm 91. I will find rest in the Lord. He is with you. Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from my boss. It doesn't actually come from my spouse. It doesn't come from my family. It doesn't come from my security. It doesn't come from my brains. It doesn't come from my health. Nothing. None of those things. You know what? My help comes from Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord. That's where my help comes from. I have confidence that the Lord is always at work for our good, for his good. In the New Testament, we have Romans 8, 28 and 29. And this is the Apostle Paul writing who had, if you read some of his history, maybe some of the hardest, if not the hardest life ever lived on the planet following Jesus. Shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, And all because he's following Jesus? And this is what he writes. And we know that God causes everything, 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 everything. 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 To work together for the good, for the best interest of those who follow God, who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Whoa, God, if these are such good people, how much just good things? For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. His Son suffered. His son hurt. His son listened and had ultimate confidence in his dad right before he went to the cross. He said, is there any other way? But you know what, dad? Your will, not mine. (laughs) Wow. Look at that. You know, Mary and Joseph didn't have Romans 8.28. But you know what? Mary and Joseph actually had the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. And so many of you know it, right? You, you do. Joseph was an amazing young man. But his brothers didn't like him very much and really mistreated him. He ended up really being sold as a slave, uh, got falsely accused, spent a lot of time in prison, and eventually was number two ruler in the land of Egypt, the most powerful of all lands. His brothers near the end of his life are scared to death. They're thinking, oh boy, dad just died. He only kept us alive because dad was here And now we're standing before the most powerful man or second most powerful man in all of the world. What is Joseph going to do to us? And what does Joseph say in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20? You know what, guys? You intended harm to me. 
You did. But you know what I want you to know? God intended it for good. Whoa. All that. God said, I'm going to change that and make it good. Look at the promises that Mary and Joseph just had in Isaiah. Like I said, I'm, I'm just going to read some things through. But starting in Isaiah chapter 40, all right, verse 1. God says, hey, Isaiah, what I want you to do is comfort the people. They haven't listened to me very well. They're now under captivity. But I want you to know there's going to be some hope. There's going to be something coming. I'm going to rescue them. And this is what he says in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Tell them this. Shout that people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of God. So it is with God's people. It's all going to fade. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stays forever. Yes, verse 10, the sovereign God is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings reward with him as he comes. I want to remind you, it's going to get better. I love you, and God is powerful. Verse 12, who else held the oceans in his hand? Verse 18, to whom can you compare to God? Verse 25, to whom can you compare to me? Who is my equal, God says. And then he describes himself. Look up to the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength. Because of his great power. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He is, gives power to the weak and gives strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord, those who have faith, those who have hope, will find new strength. They won't fall. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I will be with you. I will give you strength. There will be hard times. But you will trust me. And you will receive something that you don't even understand. Instead of feeling like falling apart and down, you're going to soar. Look at chapter 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you with my right victorious hand. Verse 13, I will hold you with your right hands, the Lord, your God. And I will say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. And then verse 43, uh, chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. This was my favorite text of my mom as she was deteriorating and looking forward to her time with God forever and ever and ever. She would always say, Rick, read Isaiah 43. Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Verse 
I walk with you. I walk with you. I'm there. If you're a child of the King, if you've come to Him by faith, if you are a son or a daughter of God, God walks with you. We wait patiently, not fretfully, trusting God is able at work to provide enough light to walk today, enough strength to walk today, that He will deliver us, well, maybe not today. Maybe not today. You see, light on a journey is comforting. Darkness is both scary and debilitating. Our world is a dark place. You all have stories. But you also know of so many stories. Economy and jobs and schooling and violence and injustice and hatred. Wow. Life is hard. And don't get me wrong, there are some bright spots. But at best, all life is quite tenuous. We need light for the journey. And Jesus is the light. He said it. He said it in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to stumble. You don't have to not know where you're going. And what, what kind of awesome promise is this? Because you will have the light that leads you to life now and forever. Think of this. This is so much more than a wall plaque. And wall plaques are nice. Little key rings are nice. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm not against that. But sometimes we just kind of flip it. This light gives hope for his kids. You know, I think this is the greatest evangelism, evangelism story that I could even tell. So many of our friends and so many of our neighbors and so many of the people we hang out with don't have the light. They don't. They flop around. They do the best they can. We not only have the light, but we can point people to the light. Will they receive it? Not always. We get that. But this is hope. They have hope. Nobody. You look at the market. Oh, it's not been so good the last few days. You know, if you're 20, that's not a bad deal. But if you're 66 or 70, hey, Lord, did you fall asleep? What happened? Like, you know, all the money's gone. What's going on? But you know, I was at Mike Harder's funeral yesterday. Brendan's dad. And many have been praying for Brendan and his family. And one of the things that I came away from at that funeral is that I was inspired. Literally inspired. I didn't know Mike personally. Some of you do. I knew of Mike, and I could point him out in the crowd. But I didn't do life with Mike. But what I did hear over and over from the speakers and the people I chatted with is that this man actually couldn't wait to see God. He couldn't. His body was wearing out. His tent was deteriorating. But the thing I heard over and over and over again is that this is not a hope, a wishful thought. 
This is like, this is my confidence in God, and I want everybody to know that I'm going to see Jesus in just a little bit. And that's where Mike is right now. But what I, was, what I want you to also know is that Jesus was my hope this last week. Um, I think actually, in a very beautiful way, Jesus prepared me for this message. Because all those verses I just gave you, were verses that I hung on to. I knew my God was powerful. I've been in so many hard situations. That's what pastors do. Don't sign up for it if you don't like it. There's something about seeing your daughter and your son-in-law hanging on for life. You know, one of the things that I don't think I will ever forget is when Kara and I were in the room at 4 o'clock on Saturday morning. Excuse me if not all of you know the story, but I'm, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but Scott was supposed to wake up Saturday. He was supposed to be warmed up. And hopefully that he would wake up and become a normal person again. And the odds were against it. And I was in that room with Kara. And can you go to that next slide, please? It's really hard to see, but that's my daughter holding Scott's hand. And about four in that morning as just an hour had passed before Scott was supposed to wake, or, or just beginning the warming, which would take six to eight hours. Carol looked at me and asked this question, what if Scotty doesn't wake up? Yeah, <laughs> In my head, I, I knew the answer. My heart was broken. Because no one had given us any confidence. But I looked at her and I said this. I said, Kara, God is going to give us strength whether Scotty wakes up or not. And then at that moment, she took her phone 
And she put it on the bed and started playing this song. But before I play it for you, what I want you to know is that everything was dark. She had just asked me that question. She was holding her husband's hand, 37-year-old husband. And she was filling the ICU ward with her voice and with this music. Would you play that? for six more minutes. And she's singing the song. And I'm sitting next to my daughter-in-law and I'm just bawling and pleading to God, just praying. Hours and hours before Scott woke up. God gave us grace that day. He gave us mercy. It was a miracle. 
But more than that, the next day, it was in the wee hours in the morning again. No one was around, and just Karen and I were in the room. And she asked this, why did God show us mercy? And I told her she couldn't ask me any more questions. And I just said this. I said, you know, Care, I think God must have an assignment for Scott. The only reason that he gives us breath, any one of us, is that we would bring him glory and we would be light and we would be able to share and point people to good news. You know, the psalmist had it right. Psalm 33, 20, 21, and 22. He writes this, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help. And He is our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, not in circumstances. For we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. You see, Mary and Joseph had hope in God's word and God's promises, not in circumstances. And those Young teenagers are heroes to me. If you ever walk into my office, you will see that there are verses all over my walls. In fact, that's my bent for artwork, is I just want verses. I want verses everywhere. Because the verses are the thing that remind me of who God is and His faithfulness and His promises. So Jesus came as a baby, a wee little baby, in a very awkward place and not much hope really except what Mary and Joseph heard from the angel and from the scriptures. Ah, and that's my message to you today, is that we have a God who gives us hope for today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that in spite of circumstances in our lives, you walk with us. I thank you that you're able to take good times and bad times, at least in our perspective, and, and bring yourself glory. I thank you that you use this young teenage couple to show us what hope looks like, to accept assignments that you've been, that they had been given and that obedience and faith in you gave them strength for the day. 
Oh, God, we are grateful that you love us. Your mercy overwhelms us. And we thank you. We thank you for this miracle. In Jesus' name, amen.